The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Looking for a fun take on modern spirituality? You've come to the right place. From new thought tools to the science behind the metaphysics, dive into interviews with the most interesting people in open spirituality and self-development. It's a big universe, and I'm your host, Jim Lefter. Hello and welcome to Big Universe. I'm Jim. I'll be your host for today. I'm a spiritual journeyman type guy and media producer. Joining me today as my very special guest co-host is Mona Sabani. Mona is a cognitive neuroscientist, author and entrepreneur, a former research scientist at the University of Southern California. She holds a doctorate in neuroscience from the University of Southern California and completed a postdoctoral fellowship at Vanderbilt University with the MacArthur Foundation Law and Neuroscience Project. She's the author of the book, Proof of Spiritual Phenomenon, a neuroscientist's discovery of the ineffable mysteries of the universe. Welcome back, Mona. It's so great to have you on again. Yay. Thanks for having me, Jim. I'm excited to be here as always. Well, we're going to have a really interesting conversation with Neil Donald Walsh today um, about the the gentleman behind the Conversations with God series, and we're going to talk about his new book, God Talk. Yeah, I'm really excited. I really enjoyed the book. I thought the stories were phenomenal, very, I don't know, they touched my heart, they inspired me, they moved me, so I'm happy to talk about it with him. Do you think we can have a conversation with the higher power? I actually agree with him that we are always in conversation with the universe. <laughs> I think it's like speaking to us and we're speaking to it all the time. Do you? I think, yeah, I do. I think, uh, I think that's right. Sometimes I need to practice my listening skills a bit. Yeah. Um, I've had, I've had uh, in my journal, I have a specific, specific section where I sort of imagine a dialogue with a higher power and I get some surprising answers in there. Oh, Which, I love that. Yeah, so I'm I'm very open to the possibilities. I, you know, I used to do that when I was young in my journal, like not on purpose, you know, I didn't have this idea at all, but I would just sometimes spontaneously write things and they would be like messages to myself. <laughs> and I remember looking back on my journals, I was surprised to see those and I was like, oh, I stopped doing that. Um, and I feel like they were kind of like that, like little messages because they were always um, empowering, you know, or, uh, encouraging. And yeah, I was thinking I should, I should allow that to happen. Yeah, more. definitely. I, I recommend that myself. Um, I, you know, I think that there's, you know, we kind of tend to other God in some ways, mm -hmm. you know, that it's something outside of me, but mm -hmm. when you take it internally and say, you know, I'm connecting to my higher power to a higher power mm -hmm. that we're all connected to, you know, I think that's, that's a different way of viewing it and a different way of experiencing it. Yeah. And I, I really get behind that idea of non-separation, non-duality, like we all are one. So with that viewpoint, yeah, I'm, you know, a part of, or the universe, it's a part of me, God, whatever you want to call it. So why not? Why, why can't, why wouldn't it be able to write through me or speak through me? <laughs> So the big question right now, Mona, is do you have a quote for us today? I do. Um, so my quote for today is from Ralph Waldo Emerson. It says, all I have seen teaches me to trust the creator for all I have not seen. Mm, I like that a lot. <laughs> well, here's mine. 
You do not need to work to become spiritual. You are spiritual. You need only to remember that fact. Spirit is within you. God is within you. I love that too. That's so... Julia Cameron. Oh. Yeah, and Julia's oh. going to be coming back on the show in the near future too. Yeah, she's. I love. I love her um, first book, and I, I use that method every once in a while to like get things moving in my subconscious and like wake up in the morning and do my morning pages. Absolutely. It's such a universal technique that she's pioneered there. So I really like her. But let's, uh, why don't we dive into the interview now? Sounds good. Let's do it. Neil Donald Walsh has written 40 books on contemporary spirituality and its practical application in everyday life, including his new book, God Talk, Experiences of Humanity's Connections with the Higher Power, a book in the Common Sentience book series. Neil's the best-selling author of the Conversations with God series, and seven of the nine books made the New York Times bestseller list. Book one remained on that list for 134 weeks. His titles have been translated into 37 languages and have been read by millions around the world. Make sure you get more information about Neil at neildonaldwalsh.com. Neil, welcome back to Big Universe. It's so great to have you. Thank you. It's lovely to be here with you. How may I serve you? Well, we got a few questions for you. Just a, just a few questions that uh, you might be interested in uh, providing answers for, if you'd be willing to do that. No, I'm, I'm totally unwilling. I, I don't want to have anything to do with your questions, so I'm out of here. But thank you, for, thank you for saying hello to me and goodbye for now. Well, that was quick. Oh well, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> well, I want to start with I want to start with a basic. And you've probably been asked this question a million times, but what does the word God mean to you? Love. Honestly, it means pure love. Not not to be you know, overly poetic, but when I, I just stop for a moment to read, because no one, no one ever asked me that question. You're the first person in all the years. You say I've been asked a question a hundred times, but no one has ever said to me, what does the word God mean to you? So that's a new question for me. And I I just stopped for a second. And I thought, what does it mean? To me, it means pure love. Hmm. And, you, and you know what, uh, Jim, when I say that uh, to an audience, I've never been asked a question, but when I tell them that God is pure love, some guy in the back of the room will inevitably get up and say, oh, Neil, 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 we've stood here listening to you. We've been sitting here for you to give us your great revelation that God is love. Everyone knows that God is love. Even the religions that differ on doctrine, they all agree that God is love. Come on, is that the best you can do? And I have to say to my friend in the audience, hey, hey, I didn't say that. I didn't say God is love. Yes, you did. I just heard you say it. I said, no. I said God is pure love. Hmm. Now my friend in the back of the room will say, okay, what's the difference? The difference is that pure love needs, expects, requires, and demands nothing in return. Hmm. Now that's theologically revolutionary because virtually all of the world's 4,223 religions, and by the way, I didn't make that number up. That's an actual, you can Google it. How many religions are there now being practiced on earth? Over 4,000 religions. And virtually all of those 4,000 religions tell us that God is pure love for sure, but also judgmental, condemning, and punishing. 
So when you start to tell me that God does not need, want, demand, or request anything in return, you would be you know, sent to hell for such a statement, because that's blasphemy. Mm -hmm. That's heresy. That's apostasy. So it's this theologically revolutionary idea that I hold when you ask, what does the word God mean? I think that God means pure love. Jim, the average person cannot even love the, the human being on the pillow next to them. Mm -hmm. in that way. Much less can we hope to love people across the world in that way. When was the last time we felt that kind of love for a person that would allow us to say, you know what? I don't love you because of what I can get from you. I love you because the beauty of who you are. I mm -hmm. see who you are. And honestly, I need nothing in return. In terms of how you have communicated with God, in you in the books, there's kind of a personality that is. Is that a personal reflection of your thoughts of God or your experience of God, or is God a, a being, or is God just the concept of the universe or the concept of love? How how does that perceived? Well, both. It's not an either-or situation. I think it is my uh, experience. You asked me whether it's my experience of God or that God is simply a pure essence, just the essence of what God is. And my answer is both. I think that is the essence of what the, the energetic that we call God is. And that's also my experience of God based on the conversations with God that I had and that all of us, by the way, are having all the time. That one of the major points made in my conversation with God is because I, you know, I asked God, why? Why me? Why would you choose me? And she said, Oh, sweetheart, sweetheart, I talk to everybody mm. all the time. The question is not to whom do I talk? The question is who's listening? Mm. Now, since we don't want to be called an apostate or a blasphemer, since we don't want to be accused of heresy, people who have communications from the divine call it something else. They call it, you know, an epiphany or a sudden insight or a brilliant idea or, you know, women's intuition, you know, whatever, whatever words they can use to avoid claiming it for what it really is, hmm. what I call divine intervention. Hmm. How, how do we know that our conversations that we're having with God or the insights that we're getting are real and not just our imagination? Well, you know, I asked God that question and she said, Neil, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are you saying not just your imagination? What, what makes you think I would stop there? I would stop at nothing to get through to you, including using your imagination. He said, where do you suppose Mozart's music came from? Where do you suppose Michelangelo's art came from? Where do you suppose any genius arrives from? Do you think imagination has nothing to do with the process? No, excuse me. Imagination is one of the greatest gifts I gave you. So when you say it's only my imagination, you're writing off one of the chief tools that I've given to human beings with which to perceive the world around them and to connect with a larger idea an extraordinary idea of who and what you are and who and what God is. 
So I'm going to rephrase your question with permission, Mona. Not how do I know it's not just my imagination, but but I think it's a legitimate question. How do I know that the message is actually coming from the divine and not from some other source? Mm -hmm. God's messages are always messages of freedom, joy, and love. Mm -hmm. If the message does not reflect freedom, joy, and love, it's probably from some other source. You know, from some idea you have in your head or from, but I, it would not necessarily be eliminated simply because it's your imagination, but it could be from some source, a book you read 50 years ago or a book someone told you contains the truth that may or may not contain the truth. I mean, I got scared reading the Bible because people told me the Bible, you got to read the Bible, it contains the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. So mm -hmm. I read the Bible. I got one third of the way through the Old Testament and I was scared out of my mind. Yeah, I think most people are. Yeah, it's right. Because, because in the Old Testament, it tells us that God demanded or at least suggested that over a million people should be killed in God's name, I might add. Mm -hmm. And then the New Testament is supposedly telling us, I'm not sure that it's a correct interpretation, but there's there are those who say that that the New Testament tells us that if you're a Muslim, or if you're a Buddhist, or if you're a Hindu, or if you're a Jew, or if, if, if you belong to any other religion other than a particular religion, it doesn't matter whether you're kind, caring, compassionate, forgiving, understanding, generous, it doesn't matter how good a person you are. You're going straight to hell upon your death because you didn't believe in the right religion in the right way. And that's what they say that the Bible tells us. So it's a pretty scary book. This particular book, God Talk, it's about it's stories from a wide variety of people and their encounters with the spiritual. Um, I'm wondering, did you have a favorite story in the book? I know I had some that no, were... The answer is no. No? No, I never pick a favorite story because then I get letters from the other people who wrote stories saying, thanks a lot for nothing, Neil. <laughs> so no, I don't have a favorite story. And, I, and I, the only favorite thing I have in the whole world is I have a favorite woman. And that's, <laughs> that's a it. good, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good declaration, I think. Was there any, was there any story that, uh, that stood out to you that was of interest to you that, that you would like to recount? They were all interested, uh, interesting to me, and I can't recount them all, but I would tell people so they get a sense. In the book, God Talk, I never I never thought about having other people's stories in the book. The publisher, actually, before they uh, you know went to press, they put in a, a notice uh, uh, on the internet asking people, if you've, if you've ever had a, an experience of divine intervention in your life, please send us your story. We'd love to hear about it. And they, they said they received hundreds and hundreds of emails from people all over the world telling them of their own experiences of divine intervention in their life. And then they picked out you know six or seven of the best stories, in their opinion, and put them in the book. The purpose of doing that was to show people it's not just about Neil Donald Walsh. When he says he's not the only person experiencing divine intervention, he's not kidding. Here are some other stories, and there are, and those stories come from one is from a scientist, one is from a school teacher, one is from a regular normal housewife, one is from a guy who runs, I think, a machine shop or whatever. The point being, they're ordinary, average, everyday people. They're not, you know, so-called spiritual teachers 
uh, or people who you'd expect to be saying those kinds of things. So that's the point of those stories. And I think a person could read any one of those seven stories and go, ah, ah, now I see what's true, that God is talking to everybody all the time. You know what's interesting, Jim, about that? Human beings have long believed, I mean, if you believe in God at all, now not everyone does, there's a category of people called atheists, and, and there's another category of people called agnostics who aren't really sure one way or the other. But eight out of 10 people report reportedly do believe in some sort of higher power. Statistics show that, surveys have shown that consistently throughout the decades, that around 80% of the people believe in some kind of higher power. But you know what's interesting about that? Those who believe in a higher power do not necessarily agree on a single statement about you know what is true about God. They, they can't come to an agreement about the truth about the higher power. That's why I wrote the book, God Talk, to give people a chance to see if we can't come together under an umbrella statement using a particular process by which to have our own conversation with God. I think that's important that we we understand that this universal spirit or, or experience of love comes to us in many different ways. It doesn't have to come in a particular path that, you know, someone, you know, Donald Walsh or some other particular person has described. It can come to each of us individually. It does, in fact, every day of our lives, and we should be calling it something else, that point I made earlier. I wondered if we could dive into the six steps that you talk about um, in the book for communication with God. Um, oh, sure. I'd be know, happy to. That'd be wonderful. The, uh, because I've asked pe people, you know, I've said, you know, how, do, how did you have your first conversation with God? And I realized when I looked back over my shoulder, at the time I wasn't thinking in so methodically, but when I look over my shoulder, I say, oh, you know what, there are really six things, six steps, if you please, that allowed me to move into a direct communication back and forth consistently with the divine. Step number one, possibility. Step number two, worthiness. Step number three, willingness. Step number four, wakefulness. Step number five, acceptance. Step number six, discernment. Now to describe those steps, the first step, possibility, we have to agree with ourselves that it's possible for God to have a communication with us. God, you know, you know what's interesting about all the people who believe in God, they believe that God has talked to human beings. Most, most believers in the divine agree that God talks to human beings. God talked to Moses, or at least it was claimed that God talked to Moses, and most of us believe that that happened. God spoke through Jesus Christ, and most people believed that that actually happened. God, God, God has been known to speak to and through many people, Buddha, you know, men and women throughout the years. Uh, so no one questions whether God talks to human beings, but the question is whether we are worthy. That's step number two, worthiness. Because, you know, we would agree, okay, okay, God talks to the Pope. Fair enough. God He's got a special chief. line. He's got a special phone line to yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe even the chief ulama or the head rabbi. So, but you got to have credential. You got to have credential. The average person, you know, uh, could, would, could not be in that group. But so the second step then is worthiness to accept the fact that we are worthy for God to be talking directly to and through us. Step number three, willingness. We have to be willing to overcome our culture's 
prohibitions because most of the human culture disagrees that God would speak directly through you. In fact, most of our religions, as I said, call it blasphemy or heresy or apostasy. Mm -hmm. So we have to be willing to overcome the, the objections of our human culture and be brave enough to say, no, 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 God, God communicates with me all the time. Step number four, wakefulness. Once we are willing to receive those communications, we have to be wakeful. That is, we have to be aware. We can't be asleep at the wheel, if you please. We have to allow ourselves to stay awake and be sure that we notice that we are receiving those messages in a hundred different ways across a thousand moments in a million lifetimes. Step number five is acceptance. Once we are willing to and wakeful enough to receive those messages, we have to accept them for what they are and not reject them. Not to say, ah, it's just a coincidence. I'm just making it all up. It didn't really happen that way, whatever. But, but to be willing to accept that this was, in fact, a communication from the divine. And then step number six, discernment, to be able to discern the difference between messages that have come to us from the highest source of wisdom that relies, that, that, that lies, I should say, the highest source of wisdom that lies within all of us, and messages you know, from another source, a book we read 20 years ago, or something that somebody said to us on the street. How can we tell the difference? We have to use discernment. Not everything is, you know, it's a sign. It's a sign. <laughs> so you, we, we can't we can't you know you know go off the edge with this kind of a thing. You reach into your pocket to get you know to get a, a your car keys, and as you pull the car keys out of your pocket, a dollar bill happens to fall on the ground that was tucked away in your pocket, and then you oh, it's a sign. I'm supposed to throw all of my money on the ground. So no no actually no. So use discernment so that you can really clearly receive the messages without mixing them up in your mind with something that simply doesn't make any sense from a divine point of view. God would not tell you to take your money out of your pocket and throw it on the ground, unless you're attending a, a poker game that I'm hosting, in which case you're allowed to do that. <laughs> do these, I, I was wondering, do these experiences for people like um, increase as they start to open? Like maybe in the beginning they're having, or maybe they're getting messages, but they're having a hard time discerning. Um, but once you get into the swing of things, does it seem like they increase for people? I think that people's awareness of them increases. I don't think the messages increase. God doesn't say, oh, this person's really listening to us. Send her more messages. So I think that, that God sends the same you know, messages to everyone all the time. Messages of freedom, joy, and love. But I think that our uh, willingness, our ability to receive them, our openness to the process, if you please, I think that does increase, just as anything in life increases when we experience more of it. What kind of ways can we perceive this conversation, perceive this in our experiences? What are some examples of that? Well, you know, uh, not just words. My experience has been sometimes... You know, God talks to us in a thousand different ways across a million lifetimes, as I mentioned. It could, it could be something, the, the lyrics of the next song you hear on the radio. You know, all, and I'm not the first person who's had that experience. You're driving down the road in your car, you turn the radio on, and all of a sudden they're singing a song that's directly related to something you've been worried about for the past two weeks. 
and you can't believe, I, come on, are you kidding me? Or the words on the billboard in the next corner around around the, as you turn the corner around the freeway, and, and or, or the chance utterance of a friend you happen to run into on the street. You just happen by coincidence to run into that person who says something that's very meaningful to you, again, out of the clear blue. Let me give you a really striking example from my life, Jim, a fragrance. I'm in the men's department of a major uh, department store a few years ago, and I'm suddenly smelling gardenia. And I'm thinking, what, am I near the perfume department? So where's that smell coming from? There were no women around. I was in the men's department. There wasn't a lady within you know, many, 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 many feet of me. I thought, well, how am I smelling gardenia? And so I asked the guy, I said, is the perfume department around the corner? He said, no, it's on the other floor. It's one floor below us. Holy cow. Where am I, why am I smelling gardenia? He said, I don't know. I'm not smelling it. So I get home and I pick up the phone and I call my mother immediately. Because, Jim, gardenia was my mother's signature fragrance. Mm. She wore it as her favorite perfume all of her life. And of course, when I smelled it, I thought my mother was right around somewhere. But of course she wasn't. She lives she miles away in a different state, halfway across the country. But I picked up the phone and called her because I felt moved to do so, since I had such a vivid reminder of you know, her role in my life. We had a very important conversation on the telephone that day. And Jim, it wasn't all that much later that my mother left the planet. Wow. You tell me, what is that about? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If that isn't part of the way God communicates with us, if that isn't God's way of saying, call your mother, it's been too long since you've had a meaningful conversation. And I hadn't, you know, I wasn't calling my mom every week. I probably should have, but I wasn't. So I picked up the phone and had that conversation. So how does God communicate with us? In a thousand different ways across a million lifetimes, you tell me. Hmm. How is God communicating with, with, with your audience? Hey, it could be this very podcast. Wouldn't it be fascinating if a person was listening to this podcast and saying to themselves, I've been wondering about this whole God question for a long time. And does God really communicate with us? And, and here's here's a podcast talking to me directly about this topic. So how does God communicate with us? In a many, many different ways. There's no one way. So stay awake. Stay awake. Why is sharing our experiences of God talking to us important? Because I think it opens those with whom we share that experience, I think it opens those people to the experience itself. You know, why do we why do we share any kind of good news with anybody, particularly if it's something we have discovered or found out about? You know, why 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 do we share people, you know, our favorite recipe? What why, why do we share people the news of a of a, of a wonderful book we've read and you want to share it with somebody. Why, why do we share anything with anybody? Because we want them to have benefit from the same experience that we've had. Mm -hmm. It's important that we have these conversations because I think um, 
we're so afraid of this topic in so many ways. You know, there's so many, uh, like you said earlier, with various different religions, it's like we're we're afraid to even mention the fact that we can have a communication with God sometimes. And I think this kind of dialogue is so important in our own personal growth that it's it's something that we should bring up in polite comf- com- company. And you you mentioned that it's not something that we should we should hide or or deal with in polite company just put it aside it's something we need to share it feels that way to me jim and it feels that i'm not sure that i like the word need that we need to share but i do think it's something that we are invited to share and i think that if we accept that invitation more and more and more with more and more people i think that we can produce ultimately critical mass that is if enough of us if enough of us share conversations about god not just conversations with god then we can create critical mass around the idea that there is a god that god is communicating with us all the time that the definition of god is pure love and that we have an opportunity to demonstrate that aspect of divinity because and here's the striking idea that i was given in conversations with god because each of us is an individuation of the divine. When I say that in front of an audience, again, my friend in the back of the room stands up, oh, Neo. I know that you, guy, yeah. Yeah, well, he looks a lot like you, in fact. In fact, I, <laughs> I, thought, you were, I thought you were he when I first when you, I first saw you on the screen. I thought, oh, my God, my antagonist is always in the back of the room at my, <laughs> at my lectures. And he said, you really, really think that you're God? Come on, Neil. And I have to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't say that I'm God. I, say, I said that I am an individuation of the divine. And my relationship to God is exactly the same as the relationship of a wave to the ocean. The wave is not something other than the ocean. It's not something that's separate from the ocean. It's simply an arising of the ocean in spectacular, powerful, glorious, beautiful, individual form. And when that expression is complete, when that individuation is finished, the wave recedes back into the ocean whence it came to arise again on another day in another way, equally individuated and equally magnificent joyous and beautiful and that's the relationship to use a metaphor that we have with that aspect of universal power and essence that i call god Hmm. so i invite us all to go out there and make waves Hmm. that is so poetic and beautiful thank you for that (laughs) like moved um i just wanted to agree with you and then also um like about sharing our experiences, I think it also helps relieve the stigma. And I found this um, because I'm a scientist and I, when I share my story with other scientists, it kind of gives them permission to then share their own. Whereas normally like they don't feel comfortable doing that usually. Isn't Um, it sad? Isn't it sad that we have created a culture where most people don't feel comfortable talking about the most important aspect of their lives? Yeah. 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 Yes. Very sad. And 
I hope that changes. Um, like, and I'm trying at least, you know, I, and I think sharing our experiences helps do that. Enormously. You know, it it yeah. helps, it, it, uh, Mona, it helps not just a little bit because we are, we are, it does move us toward creating critical mass. So do you, how do you feel, do you think people are changing and opening up? Like, how do you think people feel about God these days? Are they still really rigid or is there an opening or even the opposite direction? Like, what is your sense? It feels to me that there is an opening. Uh, I, even in my own uh, 30 years experience as an author, uh, the, the books that I have produced are re being received much more openly and talked about most, much more freely now than they were 28 years ago. I can promise you that. Mm -hmm. I was getting a lot of mail 28 years ago. Who the hell do you think you are? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. angry emails as well. Mm -hmm. That's dissipated in uh, quite a bit. Now I'm receiving the opposite kinds of emails and letters and messages saying, wow, thank you. Even if I don't agree with you, thank you for bringing up this topic and giving me something to really think about. I had a minister actually in a, in a Christian church uh, in the United States send me a letter uh, eight or nine years ago saying, Neil, I have to tell you that I can't agree with the theology of much of what you have produced in your book, Conversations with God but I will give you this much. You have created more conversations about God in our congregation than we've had in a very long time. Mm. So he said, at that level, you know, good for you and good for us. Mm. You've raised the topic again. You've brought the topic into vogue. And we don't necessarily have to agree with each other on every single point that you've made. But if we can find a way to disagree agreeably, You've made it enough of an impact to justify every book you've ever written. I I love that. I think that's so important. I think it's like so important for us to just be able to be a plural society. Like there are a lot of different viewpoints and it feels like now we just don't, we just like avoid, we avoid the topics where we, where we differ. Um, and that's like, it's not a very good way to move forward, is it? It doesn't feel like that it is. And when we don't avoid the topics on which we disagree, we approach them with violence. Mm -hmm. Verbal violence, way too much of the time. And in too many cases, physical violence. I mean, we kill thousands of people because we disagree on where their border should be drawn between our two countries. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. A border dispute creates the death of 20,000 people? I mean, we can't find a way to sit down peaceably and discuss the matter and come to some kind of an agreement as rational human beings. My golly, how primitive as a species are we? Is there hope for us? I mean, can we move forward to get to this place where we can we can have this dialogue? Well, there is hope for most of us. Not may not be much hope for you, Jim. You, you, well, I mean, you keep on showing up in the back of the room at all of my lectures and giving me a hard time. Well, maybe, maybe it just looked like you after all. Maybe it wasn't you after all. But yes, I do think there is hope for us. And I think that the reason there's hope for us, Jim, honestly, is because we have reached a stage where our technology is such that we can now reach thousands and thousands of people in the blink of an eye. 
with an idea that we couldn't have done just a few years ago with such effectiveness. So yes, I do think there's hope for us. I do think we can reach that point that I keep mentioning called critical mass. See, you know, critical mass is not one point uh, over 50%. It's not like 51% of the people. That's not what, what we mean by critical mass. It's not even 20%. Critical mass of the, of the society is not even 10%. Most people don't know that, but sociologists will tell us that critical mass is somewhere between 2.5 and 40%, 4, 4 I should say, of the world's people. When we get between 2.5 and 4% of the world's people thinking in a certain way and saying a certain thing, suddenly we have created a meme. Suddenly we've created a way of, of altering humanity's evolutionary process that doesn't involve adaptation, which is how we've changed our behaviors through the centuries, but imitation. Mm -hmm. We start imitating each other. Mm -hmm. We've seen fashions, you know, we've seen, you know, clothing that become fashion in five months around the world because now we have the ability to send ideas around the world that people agree with so i have an idea that we could create critical mass and the first domino will fall hmm. so yes i do have great hope for humanity and here's the idea that i want to suggest that we send around the world there's no such thing as separation hmm. We are not separate from God, and we are in no way separate from each other, mm -hmm. nor are we separate from anything at all. You know, Jim, you're going to laugh at this maybe when I tell you this, but when I moved out of the house that I lived in for many years, it was time to downsize. There was way too much room for us. My wife and I decided to downsize and get a little sweet little bungalow in the suburbs. But we sold our big, huge home a few years ago. You know, the day I left that house, I was getting in the car and I said to my wife, just a minute, I've got to say goodbye. Got out of the car, walked over to the house. I actually hugged the corner of the house, put my arms around the corner of the house. Jim, I kissed the house. And in my mind, I said to the house, thank you. Joy and happiness, peace and security that you gave us. And I know I can trust you to pass that on to whoever moves into this beautiful, glorious space after I leave here today. And I wouldn't have felt complete if I didn't say goodbye to the house. You know, I understand that. I actually do understand that. Yeah. Do you um do you guys watch Marie Kondo? You know, she has that show. She always comes in and she like thanks the house for having her or like addresses the house's spirit. And I I love that. I love that idea. And it is it's kind of like that. It's like everything has like a spirit or essence or it's it's all connected to us. So it never hurts to say thank you and like send honor its way. I love that idea. Yeah, and, and, uh, and so what I want people to know is that the idea we could send around the world is let's end our thought of separation. Hmm. Because right now we're separating into smaller and smaller groups. 
-hmm. We think that all of life is transactional. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. you do, everything's a trade deal. So we trade with each other. We call it love. We call love a trade deal. Mm -hmm. I'll give you this if you give me that. And so we, we create these small groups. We call them political parties or religions or nation states or you know, sexual orientation or genders or whatever we want to call them to justify us saying, I'm over here and you're over there. And I'm right and you're wrong. It's, it's poisoning our whole civil society. Hmm. So we have to bring ourselves to a new idea about life, about ourselves, about who we are in relationship to all of life and to each other. And of course, our ideas about God. Hmm. You know, one of the things that I appreciate about you, Neil, is that you're, you're very willing to engage with people and have conversations with them, whatever spectrum they're on. I, I see your Facebook posts and you're often having conversations with people, you know, about the concepts that you've, you've put forward. And I, I just wanted to give you my appreciation for the fact that you jump in and you actually do that. Well, that's very sweet of you, Jim. Thank you for saying such a nice thing to me. I receive that with humility and gratitude. Thank you. I guess I think it's, it's kind of important to touch on. I wondered if we could talk about the five steps to peace. And, you know, that's from what God said book is where I read it. Um, but the uh, the first one is recognizing that old beliefs aren't working. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> There's not much more to say than what you already said. All we have to really agree to is that all the things we have previously believed uh, are, may, may not be true. In, in fact, that most of the things that we believe as human beings are simply not working. You know? Our, our political system is not working. Yeah, yeah. Our, you know, our, our educational system is simply not working. Our, our economic system is definitely not working. Mm -hmm. Our social systems are not working. And even our spiritual systems are not working. Our spiritual systems were designed to bring us closer to God and closer to each other, and they're doing precisely the opposite. Mm-hmm. Our economic systems were designed to bring equal opportunity, or at least the, the chance of equal opportunity for as many people as possible, and they're doing exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. Our political systems were supposedly designed to make it possible for us to come together around ideas that benefit all of us, and they're doing exactly the opposite. What is going on here? Can we agree that the systems we have put into place to make life better for all of us are simply not working? Is it time for us to wake up and say, there's got to be another way? There's Clearly, there's something we're missing here. Mm -hmm. clearly, there's, clearly, there's something I do not fully understand about life, about humanity, and about God. The understanding of which would change everything. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Isn't that, that's like the second step to the piece? what 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 is that understanding is it the non-separation yes of course the understanding mm -hmm. can be put into four words we are all one mm -hmm. it's really quite simple 
Why, why do you think people have a hard time understanding that? Um, because we think that most people think that we are all one means that I've lost my individuality. That's true. That's true. There's a fear about that, that I'm not going to be able to be me. Right. So we think that that we are all one means that we are going to become an, an amalgamation, you know, just a, all meshed up like mashed potatoes. And there will no be an individual, there will no longer be an individuation that I can identify clearly as being different from all the rest of us. Mm -hmm. But that's not true. And when I asked God that question, she said, Neil, hold up your hand. So, oh, okay. So I held up my hand. She said, do you have fingers on your hand? I said, yeah, I have five fingers on my hand. She said, are they individual? I said, yeah, they look individual. They have individual functions. Yeah, individual abilities, no question. She said, are they separate from each other? I said, well, they're, well, actually, they're not separate. I mean, they're all connected to the same body. God said, ah, I see. So the mystery of life is right there in the palm of your hand. That's beautiful. It's like a metaphor right there for you <laughs> waiting. Um, how do you think we, oh, like what are some, do you, can you think of any exercises? Like how do we help people understand this? Um, I feel like sometimes just explaining it to them doesn't resonate with some people because uh, there are different types of learners or whatnot. Um, have you found that, that there's an example or a story or an exercise or something that helps people uh, besides the fingers and the, the hand, which is, which is, uh, which is already pretty interesting, <laughs> but something experiential, maybe that helps them really embody and understand, oh, I get it. Like we're not separate, but we are, but we're not. Does that make sense? Well, uh, we're all adults here. So if you'll allow me to use an adult example, yes. If I'm having a, you know, a, a meaningful, important conversation with an adult person, I would say, have you ever had a sexual experience with a person that you love deeply? Hopefully that person would say, yes, I've had that encounter. Say, ah, I see. So where do you begin and the other person ends? Where do you end and the other person begins? Or is it in fact that you are all one? in that encounter, in that emotion, in that experience, in that expression, in that understanding? Have you ever felt that, wow, there's only one of us here? I am entwined in the arms of myself. You know, I, I have a ring on my finger, I have to tell you, Mona, that has a word in, in, in uh, carved out of silver, O-T-H-E-R. My wife wears the same ring. And when people say to her, why why do you have a ring that says O-T-H-E-R on it? And she says, because it was given to me by my other. Hmm. That's lovely. He, he's not he's not a separate person. Mm -hmm. He's just the other part of me. Mm -hmm. So the idea that I help people understand is. If you've ever experienced a sexual encounter with a person with whom you felt to be one with, where there was no really dividing line between the two of you, nothing's expected, demanded, required of the other person. Because there really is, in a sense, no other person in the room. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, then, makes sense. The, and the average person can go, I've, I, you know, I've had that experience. They say, ah, so that's what I want you to do is have sex with everybody you know. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, here, no, no, no. Yeah, yes, yes, like yes, yes. But, but, like but, but sex, is a, sex is an acronym. Synergistic Energy Exchange. Okay. Oh, there you go. So have <laughs> let yourself... Let yourself, if you please, make love with every human being you encounter. Yeah. Dare you, dare you, double dare you. Because you know what's interesting? As radical as that thought may be, that's what every single human being that we have recognized as a guru or a master or a saint has done exactly that. They have treated everyone else who crossed their path as someone with whom they were deeply in love. Mm. That's what every master has ever done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so it's not like, what a wild idea. Can you tell me a little bit about Humanities Team? I find that's a very interesting organization. I'd love to Tell our uh, listeners about that. I had a dream, Jim, many years ago now, about 25 years ago. I was tossing and turning, you know, at, at night, as we often do when we have important dreams. And it was one of those dreams where I knew I was dreaming. They call it a lucid dream, where you're aware that you're dreaming. And in my dream, I was uh, looking at a soccer field, a football field, on which there were people from every nation on the earth. Some wore blue jerseys, some wore yellow jerseys, some wore red jerseys, some wore green jerseys. And I saw all these different uniforms of all the people out there competing with each other to win the game. And I remember looking at that game going on and people were being injured. The game was being, wasn't being played as well as I would like. No one was clearly winning. And I remember thinking in that dream, but who will be on humanities team? Why can't we all just wear the same uniform? Why don't we all put on the same jersey? What's the matter with us? We're all, we all say we want the same thing. We all want peace, love, security, understanding, compassion. Come on, we all want the same thing. Why can't we all wear, wear the same jersey? So I woke up out of a sound sleep, sat up, bolt up outright in bed, and I went downstairs to my writing studio. And I thought, I got to do something. I got to do something with this idea. It was like, I don't know, 4.15 in the morning. And I wrote down the idea, who will be on humanity's team? And I checked it out. This is now 24 or 23 years ago. And I, I went online to see if the words humanitiesteam.com, if, if, if that domain name had been taken. Unbelievably, it had not been. There was no such thing as humanity's team, which of course is what I was dreaming about. Mm -hmm. So I grabbed every permutation of that name, humanitiesteam.com, humanitiesteam.org, humanitiesteam.info, humanitiesteam.whatever. I grabbed every permutation. And then I called some people that I knew to my house. You know, in the next few days, I got on the phone and called some people that I knew who told me that they loved my books people who had written me emails and so forth. Then I said, look, 
I want you to come here to my home and I want to discuss an idea with you. And a few of them came, seven or eight people showed up at my house for a weekend. We stayed together Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in my home. You know, they slept all over on the couch, you know, and, and we had breakfast and lunch and dinner together. We talked about what it would be like if we formed an organization called Humanities Team. Hmm. And we did. We sent a message out on the internet three months later, inviting people who wanted to join such an organization to meet us at a large hall in Portland, Oregon, and travel there if they had to, and let's create Humanities Team. 1,500 people showed up Wow! for that two-day event. And we gave them some speeches and some talks. I shared with them what I've come to understand as a result of my conversations with God. And Humanities Team was born. We now have chapters in every nation of the world. Hundreds of people in every nation, from Russia to Japan, from China, yes, China, from all the nations of the world. We have hundreds of members who belong to Humanities Team who say, we are all one. Let us now do what we can to model the behavior that we wish other people to embrace, or as Gandhi put it simply, be the change you wish to see. Well, Neil, I hate to wind things up here, but I think I'm going to have to. But I want to mention to you that... No, you, you don't have to. You can give me three <laughs> or four more days. <laughs> the uh, I, I do want to mention to you that uh, the Conversations with God books really had an impact on me. Um, I know that that, and uh, as well as uh, Unity teachings and Science of Mind and a few other books sort of changed my idea of what God could be in my mind. You know what what I could relate to, and so I really want to appreciate appreciate you for that. Well, once again, thank you for those very kind words. You've been saying many many nice things to me today, and uh, your check is in the mail. Oh, wonderful! Looking forward to that. Now, if you had one piece of advice or a comment for our listeners as we close things up here, what would it be? Your life is not about you. Your life has nothing to do with you. Your life is about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. But on the day that you realize the truth of that statement, you then find yourself embracing a larger universal truth that in the biggest sense, your life is about you because there's nobody else in the room. Mm. We are all one. Awesome, Neil. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Big Universe. It's been great having you on. It's been wonderful to be here with you both, Mona and Jim. Thank you for the opportunity to share this time with you. Blessed be. For more information about Neil, please go to neildonaldwalsh.com and check out his latest book, God Talk, Experiences of, of Humanity's Connections with a Higher Power. Mona, it's been great having you on as a co-host. Don't forget to pick up Mona Savani's book, Proof of Spiritual Phenomena, a neuroscientist's discovery of the ineffable mysteries of the universe. Her wow. It's good, huh? I want to read that. I want to, I don't, I, I've got to read that. Somebody send me a copy. You got to do that. Yeah, I'll send you Absolutely. a copy. <laughs> you can find out more about Mona at her website, Mona Sabani, S-O-B-H-A-N-A-N-I, Ph-D.com. 
to contact me, you can email me at jim at youthrivehere.com. Thanks, everybody. I'm Jim Lefter with Mona Sabani. We'll talk to you next time on Big Universe. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, and wherever you get your podcasts.